In a few weeks, Lord willing, Jim Weaver from Myerstown, Pennsylvania will be here for what we call revival meetings. And the message this morning I entitled, Pray for Revival. And the question might be, do I need revival personally? And I think we all find ourselves at times when we certainly feel like we do. But then the question might be, what is revival? And uh, jotted down a couple things. I think it's a recognition of God's holiness and our need for him. Finney said it this way, revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. If you could call it a renewed commitment to God and an increased burden for the loss. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6 as we think about maybe the, what it takes to start revival in our hearts. And I know some of you might be thinking, what about the Osbury uh, University revival that's going on, or that's uh, what it's called anyway. Maybe some of you haven't heard about it. It's been going on for, I don't know, maybe 10 days or so, and it's uh, drawn a lot of attention from even uh, major news agencies and onlookers and people who want to get in on a revival have traveled there and um, rubberneckers from all over the country have shown up too, I think, or maybe the world and, and people trying to find out what's going on. And I'm not here to make any judgment about it this morning. I would say the fruit of it will determine if it's true revival or not. I understand the university there could probably use some revival as an institution, considering the fact that they teach theistic evolution and so forth. So maybe it will go from the student body into the faculty and into the organization, and there will be revival there. So we can pray for that. But do we talk about revivals, and revivals happen throughout history. There have been revivals, even in this country, that have changed cities and towns and community landscapes as far as shutting down bars and taverns and opening up more churches and so forth. But in our own hearts, what do we think about in revival? In Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I believe the first thing, and if we want true revival in our hearts, is to recognize who God is first. We'll not recognize our need for change or growth if we don't recognize that God is holy, holy, holy. And then it says, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. You see, we recognize our need for God when we see who God is. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with a tong from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And so when we have true revival, we recognize that God this holy God, even in our undoneness, if we come to him in repentance, is able to purge us and to clean us from our sin. 
And then he says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And I believe that's where the idea of once we have had true revival in our hearts, in our lives, and in a church, in a brotherhood, wherever it's needed, that there will be an increased desire to go and share the gospel. He says, here am I, send me. But he first of all recognized God's holiness. He recognized his undoneness. God was able to purge him and he was willing to go. Now, <clears throat> revival meetings in themselves do not produce revival. He's not going to bring revival in a satchel and open it up and out pops revival and then we're all different. That's not how it works. But it can help facilitate it in our lives or in the life of a congregation, I believe, when we have uh, meetings like that. Now, revival meetings... Um, incidentally, are one of the causes for the division of the Mennonite church in this county. Sunday school, protracted meetings they were called, and so forth. And so um, some of you may have grown up in, in settings where revival meetings were not looked upon favorably, and I understand it. Times in history, revival meetings have become more of an emotional show than anything else, and, and so some churches were not interested in having revival meetings or protracted meetings, as they were called 100 years ago. But really, it is a time, I believe, of it's a time of concentrated time of preaching and prayer and hearing from someone outside of our own church that maybe says things and sees things that we wouldn't see ourselves that can help us to grow. And I don't know what you think about when you think about revival meetings coming. Uh, maybe you're thinking, I'm excited about it. The revival meetings are coming. We get to come and hear the preaching of the word throughout the week and see how it changes our lives and so forth. Or maybe you're thinking, oh, great, here's revival meetings coming. And we're, if we're not at church every night, we're looked down on. And boy, God, just give me the strength I need to bear another week of revival meetings because I just don't know if I can go and actually hear God's word preach for a whole week straight. That just would be awful, wouldn't it? Some people, I think, look at revival meetings that way. And I might say, I know it can get, I know it can be a lot of getting up, getting ready, getting the children to church and on and on and a lot of things in our busy lives. But I would say, if you look at revival meetings in a way of uh, being a burden, you're probably a good candidate for revival. Uh, maybe that's just saying it a little too plain, but um, that's kind of what I what I believe, if, if that's how we look at it. And I'm not saying everyone can be here every night. I get that. We had young children at one time. Things come up, and you've got family. You've got a lot of things going on. I understand that. But uh, I do find it interesting sometimes that... Uh, Sometimes you have to introduce the revival speaker on Sunday morning because there's some that wouldn't know who it was if he didn't. And he's been here since Monday. So just think about that a little bit. Where are your priorities? And are you interested in revival in your own heart? Turn with me to Psalm 85. Excuse me, Psalm 85. And we'll look at the whole chapter here. 
He said, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto, unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins, Selah. Now it's kind of interesting. He says that, and then he goes on and, and continues this thing about God's wrath and against sin and so forth. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the presence of thine anger. Uh, turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? And then in verse 6 he says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Revival brings rejoicing. Putting away of sin brings rejoicing. Drawing closer to God, even if you're not, even if there's not no sin in your life, but just having a revived in, uh, desire to serve this holy God should bring uh, rejoicing. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. And that's easy to do. We get revived, and we feel we're on fire for the Lord again, and we get encouraged, and we, we can turn back to folly, or that word there really means sin. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. And I like these verses. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps." Wilt thou not revive us again? We can have that kind of rejoicing. I believe that there's a part of revival that can only come from the working of the Holy Spirit. Turn to John chapter 16. I want to read a few verses there. The Holy Spirit must work in our hearts through um, conviction, through encouragement, through showing us um, who we are compared to God and so forth. It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, starting at verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and see you no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And he continues there talking about what the Holy Spirit will do, especially for his disciples there and, and for us as well. But the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts of sin and shows us where we need to be revived. And I believe that can happen if we come with a prayerful attitude and a prayerful heart uh, to the meetings and even working, pre preparing for the meetings. And that's what I'd like to encourage you to do is start now thinking about what do I need revival in my heart for? What do I need? What can the Lord tell me about my life and my heart? Go to Je Jeremiah chapter 4. And Jeremiah ties in with, we're going to be looking at some verses in Nehemiah. And Jeremiah 
and his time frame ties in with that. Jeremiah told them, if you don't shape up, you're going to go into captivity. If you don't listen, you're going to go into captivity. If you don't get your lives right, and he tells them, and then when they do, he uh, basically prophesies that in 70 years you'll go back, and you'll see that, that that happened. But in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. If thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. In other words, you'll clean your life up. Thou shalt swear the Lord liveth in truth and judgment and righteousness, and the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, and you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quencheth because of the evil of your doings. Thinking about breaking up your fallow ground, as we think about preparing for revival meetings, there needs to be a preparation of our hearts. That's something we do. The Holy Spirit can convict, but we need to be willing and ready for God to work. So we think about breaking up the fallow ground. I think about the story Jesus told about the different soils. There were soils that were thorny. There were soils that were hard. There were soils that weren't ready. But then there was a soil that was actually ready, received the seed, and then it grew and it prospered. Well, soil doesn't just generally happen to be like that. And I, and I know it's, you know, farmers farm a lot differently than when they did when I was a boy. And I know I'm getting old. So I remember the day when you actually took a plow out there and you plowed the ground and flipped it over. And if you uh, had the right kind of soil, you better do it in the fall. And then the, over the winter, it would make it more mellow. And you go out there with a disc and you disc it up. And, and I remember as a boy... Uh, lived down at Akron there, we'd, we'd plow it, and we'd disc it one way, and we'd disc it another way with a collar packer. And when it was ready, I mean, you had a seed bed that was ready. Fortunately, we didn't have some of the uh, land like we have over here in New Paris, or probably most of it would have washed away when it rained. So they've changed some of those practices, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there still needs to be a preparation of the soils. And I think sometimes for myself... It's easy to say, okay, I'm going to get my heart ready. I want to get it ready. And if you picture a field, a square field, sometimes it's easy to get the center ready and then when you get to the corners of the field, just kind of swing the disc around and, or the plow, whatever, and, in our hearts and just leave the corners go. And what happens then? They grow up with weeds and they grow up with this and they grow up with that and you don't get in the, you know, if you really want to plant a field right, you get in the corners, you get everything done. You farmers know that. You, you get as much crop out there as you can. Matter of fact, if you're my neighbors, you get the corn out so far to the road that you can just about get killed trying to get your nose out to see if the traffic's coming. They want to get every row of corn out there. You know, we don't want to lose a bushel of that $6 corn. And so it's how we do it. But what about when it comes to our own lives and our own hearts? Are we willing to get it all plowed up? Get to the corners of our hearts where God can really get in there and work in the areas where it's a little harder to reach, a little harder to get to. Often, that's where we need to really 
be breaking up the hard soil of our hearts is in the places that are hard to reach, not necessarily the easy places to get to. And at least for me, that's the way it is. Turn to Nehemiah, and the story of Nehemiah there, Ezra and Nehemiah, are an interesting time in the life of Israel or Judah, I should say, and they, some of the people that had been taken into captivity, I understand, escaped. Some had went back. Some maybe never got actually taken away, whatever. And so they were trying to rebuild some things there in, in Jerusalem. And well, they found out about it and came and tore down what some of the things they had done, burned the doors of the city, and so forth. It was kind of a mess. And it was, and if you look at Ezra and Nehemiah together, it's an interesting story. Sometimes you hear the term, well, revivals don't last. They never last. And there's a tendency even in our own lives to have a great revival in our hearts, and it just doesn't last. But it can last, and it can change us. Maybe, maybe this time it changes a little bit this way, changes a little bit more this way, and, and we continue to be changed and made unto his own likeness. That's, that's the purpose of revival in our hearts, to become more and more like Christ. Sometimes we hear that, well, revivals just don't last. But you know something? The revival that happens here in Ezra and Nehemiah did change some things with regard to the, the children of God there, the, the, what we would call the Jewish people. I don't think they ever went back to idol worship after this revival, after this captivity and this revival. Now, if somebody knows different, there are instances where you can see that certain people may have, but as a nation... I don't believe they ever went back to that. And when they were subjected to that kind of thing under different rulers, uh, you had things then like the Maccabean revolts and you had the Jewish-Roman wars and you had these things where they did not want to go back to worshiping idols. Now, were their hearts where they needed to be a lot of times? Well, you can see what Jesus told a lot of them. No. But there were parts of their, at least their worship and their practice that changed. That revival happened and there were certain things that did continue to last. So in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through, actually, no, let's go to just chapter 1. Let's go to chapter 1. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And it came to pass when I heard these words, and this is when uh, uh, verse 3 there says, the remnant that are left in captivity there in the province had great affliction and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are over burned with fire. And let's think about this maybe with our own hearts, our own lives, or things are in disarray. And this, I believe, is the key to having revival. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and the terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, 
and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which, are, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you among, abroad among the nations. But if ye return unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though they were, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. And you'll see right after that how it was obvious that this was working on him and his prayer and his desire to see revival among his people so much so that his his boss basically said, what is going on? And this started his ability to leave there and to go back. And so his prayer uh, was answered and God began to work. And so if you go over to chapter 8, and this is when the law is found and it's read and it ex it's explained. And I would say part of revival, we, we, we pray about revival, we we. Ask God to, to take care of the sin in our lives and to hear us and bring revival. And then we hear from the word in Nehemiah chapter 8. And I think I'll start reading there in verse 8. It says, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense, or they explained it, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites taught the people said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And, when, and then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them of whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so there they were. They had heard the word of the Lord. And all of a sudden it brought great sorrow. Why? Because they realized they hadn't been living up to it. When you read a portion of scripture and you and the Holy Spirit in your heart shows you you're not living up to that. Or here's an area you could change. You just say, oh, well, yeah, I guess I need to work on that. Or does it bring a sense of sorrow and weeping like, wow, I have really missed this. And does it cause you then to, to mourn, if you will, and to say, I have got to change this? And yet God, I believe, would say to, to us in those times, if you're willing to change, then the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go in the joy of the Lord, because you have seen God is showing you something in your life. And you can change that and become more like him. And that should bring joy to us rather than Sorrow upon sorrow. Turn over to chapter um, 9. And we'll look at a few verses there. 
Chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Now in the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth, and the earth was upon them, and the seed of Israel departed um, themselves from all strangers, separated themselves from all strangers, and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and read in the book of the law, the Lord their God, one fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. There you can see a lot of revival right there. They prayed, they were fasting, they read from the law, and they confessed their sins. Can you imagine for a fourth part of the day they read from the law and a fourth part of the day they confessed and got right with God? That's that's revival. Am I willing to go there in my life? But it's interesting, it says they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. There's something about worship that includes us being willing to confess the things in our hearts and our lives that are not what God would want us to be. And that comes from being willing to have a broken and a contrite spirit. Broken can mean to break or to rend violently or to wreck according to the Hebrew. And contrite (coughs) in one word means to like dust or break into dust or to be lame or smitten. A couple different words that are used for that. I just want to read a few verses with regards to our own being broken and contrite. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save as such as of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Isaiah says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. If we want revival, we need to have a broken heart before him. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things mine hand hath made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But But unto this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Do we tremble at his word, or does his word really have authority in our lives today? And how do we have a broken heart? The best way to have a broken and a contrite spirit, I believe, is in Luke when it says, And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. I believe we need to fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ to have a broken and a contrite heart. So what should revival do? I believe revival should, first of all, save the lost. If there are those that are lost, they should come to Christ in a revival of any kind. It should revive the backslider. And often we find ourselves in places, at least in some area in our lives, where maybe we have backslidden. And it should encourage the faithful. Revival should encourage those who are faithful, who maybe don't necessarily have an area that they need a particular area of confession to be made. But 
just to encourage them to continue to be faithful. And I think that's one of the things I enjoy about revival meetings is to just hear the preaching and just be encouraged to continue on uh, going. You know, somebody said one time, well, you know, uh, revival, you know, you get revived once, that's it. You know, you get cleaned up, get saved, and that's all you really need. And uh, I don't suppose many of us feel that way when it comes to taking a bath or getting cleaned up, taking a shower. We get dirty again. We get cleaned up again. We get dirty again. We get cleaned up. We stay that way. We just, I hope you do. Looks like everybody did. Things that should maybe happen in a revival is sin should be confessed and brothers and sisters should make amends if they have problems with each other and the work of the church should come alive and the lost should be convicted. You know... Um, T.K. Hershey wrote this in his one old-time revival again. And I want you to think, if, if you think the world is, is in this condition, it says, conditions today in the world are such that call for prayer for revival. Liquor, the movies, the dance, sports, and other popular amusements have caused people to forget God. Divorce, free love, gambling, robbery, murder, kidnapping, the mob spirit, all run wild in our nation and call for a national or a nationwide revival. That sound a little bit like the culture we live in? I'm going to tell you when that was written and I'll read it again. 1936 or 1937. That's not too long. It's going to be 100 years ago. That was written about our culture and our nation. And we would look back and say, oh, those were the good old days. Everybody was a Christian back then and things were going well. Let me read that again. It says, conditions today in the world are such that call for prayer for revival. Liquor, the movies, the dance, sports, and other popular amusements have caused people to forget God. Divorce, free love, gambling, robbery, murder, kidnapping, and the mob spirit all run wild in our nation and call for a nationwide revival. Wow, if they needed it in 1936 or 37, and that's the way the world looked to somebody that was calling for revival, and how much more today. But you know, we can't really go out and start a revival in the culture if we're not willing to have a revival in our own hearts and our own brotherhoods and our own churches. It starts right here. And so as we think about preparing for revival, I would say to pray. Pray for yourself and for others. And sometimes maybe you know a brother or sister in a church or somebody maybe in your family, somebody you just know that's really struggling with things or maybe living in sin and you're like, spend some time praying. Maybe the revival meetings would help them. Something a message, something in a message that they hear. Believe in preparation, you need to desire revival for yourself. And I would say get into the Word before revival meetings if you're not there already. And be here for the services when you can. And then I would like to encourage you just to pray for the speaker. Pray for Jim as he's planning to come. And pray that he would have time to prepare, things would get done. Pray that God would help him with his messages and for his family. And I can just tell you from experience, personal experience, and when you get ready to go someplace for a week of revival meetings, it seems like 
if it can go wrong, it will go wrong that week or so before. And then when you're gone, it's not uncommon for things back home, for something to go wrong. It's just Satan does not want this. He, he doesn't like preaching of the word. He doesn't like revival. He doesn't like these kind of things going on in, in the kingdom of God. And so he will do things to hinder it. And so I would just encourage you, especially as we get closer to the meetings, to just take some time every day to pray for Jim. You, um, maybe I should ask this question. How many of you here know him personally? There's maybe one or two or a couple. There's some out there. Most of you don't know him, but that doesn't mean you can't pray for him. And hopefully you'll get to know him. So spend some time praying, even though you don't know, don't know him. Spend some time praying for him and for his family and for his work and everything he's involved in and just pray that God would, would protect him, give him time to prepare so he could be focused on the week as well because it's important that that happens too. And then, of course, let's pray for ourselves and for the brotherhood. And let's pray right now. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would just revive my heart Lord, areas that I need to grow or areas I need to change, things I need to confess, whatever it might be, God, I just pray that um, coming up to the meetings and during the week of meetings, Lord, that you would just speak to my heart, help me to grow and become more like you. And, and Lord, just uh, I pray that you would be with us as a brotherhood, be with each one. Help us, Lord, to have a desire in our hearts to grow and be more like you and to be revived and renewed where we need to be. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with Jim and his family as he prepares to come. Bless him, Lord, with your spirit in a special way as he prepares to come. And we pray, Lord, that you would just give him time to prepare and a good week here. We pray all this in Jesus, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen.